For our study in God's Word this morning, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1. Of course, I thought this morning that I might share a special message even on this day, but I didn't want to lose the continuity of that which we have started in the book of Proverbs. And really, once you think about it, all that the book of Proverbs says to us and for us is everything that we're about as the Bible Church of Little Rock, standing on the Bible, preaching the Bible, teaching, and I trust living out the truths of the Bible. And I appreciated Dr. Winger's comments about how the Bible Church, from his experience from the very first day until now, has attempted to do just that. And I am thankful to the Lord that at least as a part of our name is the Bible Church. And I can't think of a better place to go even on this day than to Proverbs chapter 1 in verses 1 to 7 and to really continue a message in which I began last time, the purpose of the book of Proverbs. The purpose of the book of Proverbs. And I told you, if you remember, if you were with us last Lord's Day, that I said that verses 1 to 7 give us a twofold purpose for the book of Proverbs and what it presents to us as a believer in God. And if you remember, those two purposes are these. Purpose number one is that the book of Proverbs has been given to us in order that we might have the necessary or the requisite moral skill to live to the glory of God. And we looked at these verses, verses 2 through 4 in Proverbs chapter 1, in order to find that principle to be true. The purpose of the book of Proverbs is to give man the necessary moral skill in daily living, right where our hearts and lives are, the very fabric of information that is crucial for us to live to the honor and glory of God. The book of Proverbs helps us with that. It's so foundational. And we talked about that at length last time. I said to you, of course, that there are 15 different words here in verses 1 through 7 that show us what this moral skill is made up of. Knowledge, wisdom, Instruction, discernment, understanding, wise behavior, righteousness, justice, equity, prudence, knowledge, discretion, learning, wise counsel, and fear. And I said to you that even though we weren't going to be able to spend the time to define all of those words, that really the point, even of Solomon in pinning those words for us, is not so that every single one of those words can be defined, but actually it's a way in the Hebrew language to, to show us the sheer number of words that the Hebrew had at his disposal to see the moral skill that was absolutely compelling for him in his life. I mean, if you were to be told that you needed to do something and someone introduced to you the way to do that and gave you 15 different words to describe the requisite skill that you needed to carry out that task, that would give you the sheer force of the information that you needed to know the importance of such a thing. 
And that's what we're really experiencing here in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. It's the sheer grouping of words, one on top of the other, to show us that the moral skill that is vital for our spiritual life cannot be underemphasized. We have to remind ourselves so often, daily in fact, maybe even in some cases hourly, moment by moment, with the kind of moral skill that is mandated by the Word of God because it affects everything about our lives. And we looked at that in great detail last time. But I also told you that there was a, a second principle, a second purpose for the book of Proverbs, and it is this. The purpose of the book of Proverbs, secondly, is to give man the requisite mental direction not just moral skill, not just the skill to live daily your life in Christ, but it also gives us, as a very purpose of this book, the requisite mental direction in order to know and serve God. You say, well, what is really the difference between the two of them? Moral skill is the practical, day-to-day, life-giving skills, mannerisms, patterns, habits, that we must know as believers in God, the moral skill. But the mental direction, while it is very similar, is a bit different because what it's saying to us here is that you must know something. You must have an apprehension, a comprehension in your mind about certain things of God, His truth, and His world that you cannot ever, ever, in your life, not know. If you're a Christian, if you know Jesus Christ, these are absolutely vital truths that you have to have in your mind. And that's why I say it's a mental direction. It's a direction of your life. It's not just a practical day-to-day step or walking in your life, because a lot of people believe that that's what they're doing. But it's also information, knowledge, understanding that coupled with that moral skill allows us to know the what and the why and the wherefore of walking in that which is a pleasing of God, a serving of God. And that's contained for us in verses 5 and 6, and that's why where we find ourselves this morning. Look with me at verses 5 to 6 of Proverbs chapter 1. Solomon says, A wise man will hear and increase in learning. And a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. Now what I want you to notice about this is that when you affirm the truth of principle number one, that we must have a morality, a spiritual life, a dynamic walk, that it comes from knowing something. We're never asked by God to be a certain kind of person without the proper godly thinking that is the basis behind that morality, that spirituality. And this is precisely what Solomon is telling us here in verses 5 to 6. If you heed the message of the book of Proverbs, if you understand its purpose, then he says you will be able to do two things according to verse 5. You will hear... That's number one. Do you see it there? You will hear. And secondly, you will increase in learning. What he's really doing is exhorting us that if we're wise, 
We're going to hear something. And we're not only going to hear something, but we're going to increase in it. That is the ability to grasp the truth. So much so that one day you not only imbibe it in your own life, it's not only inculcated into your own life and ministry, but you'll be able to turn that around and teach someone else. That's the whole purpose. The whole purpose is not just to feed us on information so that we become fat and sassy. It's for us the opportunity to give it back out. It's for us the opportunity to increase in learning to such a degree that we pass it on to our families. We pass it on to our children and they to their children. He goes on, in fact, in verse 5 to say, A man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. And that's where I pick up this outline point because this very phrase, wise counsel, really means a mental direction. It's really a graphic word. It's, wor- it's used, by the way, as the steering navigationally of a ship down to its proper course. That's what that word means. You'll be able to steer the course of your life in such a way that God is pleased. He says, well done. You're doing a good job. You're acquiring the right kind of course. In fact, look in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14, and you're going to see a little bit of this. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14. Similar context. You might have heard this passage before. It might even be misunderstood in some circles that you've been a part of because... A lot of times people understand this verse wrongly and they think it's saying something that really it isn't saying at all. It's saying in some of the older versions where there is no vision, the people what? You know that, ver- that, that word vision is really not talking about some mystical esoteric thing. It's talking about revelation. It's talking about God's revealing Himself to man. It's talking about the truth of Scripture. It's talking about the truth of the Word of God, how God reveals Himself to us. And what He says here is the same thing that He says in chapter 1, where there is no guidance, no revelation, no direction, no mental direction. The people what? Fall. But in abundance of counselors, those who counsel you according to the Word of God, there is what? Victory. Victory. Oh, I love that word. It has the idea that we're going to be successful, that the mental direction of our life is going to be along the path of God's direction, God's will. God reveals Himself to us so that we might know Him and His truth. And it's obviously contrasting the difference between the naive and the immature. You look back at Proverbs chapter 1, and that contrast is certainly there. He says in verse 4, to give prudence to the naive, the simpleton, the simple one, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. That's obviously contrasting the naive person. It's contrasting the youthful person with the wise person and with the man of understanding. You can see it's so obviously listed there. When there is no direction from God mentally, and that's how I understand my God. I don't understand my God in any other way other than I, as I comprehend Him in my mind, as I understand who He is by the revelation that He has given to me. And if I am supple, if I'm humble, if I'm moldable, if I'm allowing myself to be shaped rightly, 
then I am a tool, an instrument in God's hand whereby He takes His revelation, His word, His knowledge, His understanding, His judgments, His statutes, His laws, and He then places them in my soul. And then I'm able to steer a right course. I can drive the ship properly. I'm able to take all of the issues of life and I can navigate properly around to the place where God is pleased. Why wouldn't you want to say about your own spiritual life that I'm navigating the ship here in a way that God is pleased, that I'm able to, to move away from the treacherous and the dangerous? When there's a storm of doubt, storm of criticism, maybe there's even a, a, a rushing wind of false doctrine, and I'm able to navigate that ship of my life around those very dangerous spots so that there's calm even in the storm around me and I'm able to have the necessary mental comprehension of God and His truth so that I'm able to avoid some of those very, very treacherous seas. That's what Proverbs is telling us. That's the very purpose. Now, some people have asked me, even someone asked me last week, now, when it talks in the Proverbs about someone who's a fool, or it talks about in the Proverbs somebody who's naive, or somebody who's a youth, or somebody who's a scoffer or a scorner, is that talking about a non-Christian? Is that talking about a non-believer? Or is that talking about even a believer who could be foolish, or a believer who could be naive? And that's a very good question. And for the rest of our time this morning, because especially some of these very terms are listed in this opening set of proverbial statements, I want to tell you that there are categories in the Proverbs that describe not just the attitudes of all people, but actually categories of people. In other words, yes, there is a category of people called the fools and the naive and the youth. And there are categories in the Proverbs of people who are called the righteous and the blessed. And those categories are hard and fast, at least as far as categories go. Yes, it is true that believers, believers in God, if you're an old covenant type of person or a new covenant in which we live, a believer in Jesus Christ, a Christian, can do foolish things, certainly. We're all guilty of that. And we sometimes do them often, even sometimes far more often than we would like or we would desire. But when the Proverbs talks about these kinds of people, it is providing for us hard and fast categories that describe believers or unbelievers. For instance, and maybe if you have a pen, you can jot some of these things down because I think they'll be important to you as we go through the book of Proverbs. There is, for instance, a listing of a type of person in the Proverbs called the fool. The fool. What about this kind of person? Who is he? Well, categorically, the fool is a person who does not know God. He does not know God. In other words, he's in the category of a person who is not a believer. And so when you see the Proverbs list, by way of an identification, a fool, it is listing a person who is not a believer in God. Someone who needs to come to God, someone who needs to believe in Him, but who does not presently do so. It's not talking about a believer who does foolish things. It's talking about a person who is not a godly person. He's a foolish person, and by definition, he needs God in his life. He needs that revelation. He needs the 
Proverbs to come to grow and ruminate and germinate in his life so that it sprouts spiritual life, all right? This fool, there are actually three different words in the Hebrew text of the Proverbs that speak of the fool. I won't go into them, but let me just give you some of the definitions about what characterizes this foolish person. First of all, this person despises and hates wisdom and instruction. We find that really even in our text. Look at Proverbs 1.7. Notice what it says in the latter part of the verse. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. They're a person who's not just foolish in the sense that they have a mental problem, as someone might call a fool. It's really not the issue of their mental capacity or their mental ability. It's actually a moral issue. It's a moral problem. It's an attitudinal thing. It's a person who, as the text here says, despises wisdom and instruction. He doesn't heed advice. One of the other Hebrew words that's describing a fool in the Proverbs is someone who's stubborn. Stubborn. They're spiritually reckless. They don't listen to anyone. They don't listen before they speak. It's also describing someone who's made up his mind and won't change. Someone who's a foolish person is even so shocking that what they really go about doing in their life is exalting themselves. Look, for instance, in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 32, and you can see a little bit about this kind of person. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 32. I wish we had time to look up all of these passages, but we'll come to them as we are gripped with some of these Proverbs as they are taught to us. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 32. This is an amazing statement. If you have been foolish in, in exalting yourself, or if you have plotted evil, and that's certainly what the foolish man does, put your hand on your mouth. Say, what does that mean? That's talking about someone who's shocked. Someone who is so shocked that they have to put their, their hand on their mouth. Oh my! When they look at somebody and what they're doing. The other night I was turning on the television and I saw immediately, and I don't remember what time it was, it was probably late, and immediately what came onto the screen were some kind of event called a tough man competition where these two men were battling in a boxing ring who had no boxing skills, they had no ability, and they had these big fat boxing gloves on, and they had this headgear on, and they had absolutely no skill whatsoever, and the idea was for one to knock the other person out to grab $50,000. And it was amazing to watch these guys, because as soon as the bell rang, they went immediately to each other. Uh, there, were, there was no uh, shucking and jiving. There was no going up and down. There was no uh, trying to... Uh, dodge the the opponent they just went up to each other and they were just literally beating each other's brains up and it was amazing to see and i thought to myself you know this is exactly what the foolish person does in order to gain something that doesn't last like fifty thousand dollars because if you have a brain like that especially after it's pummeled fifty thousand dollars is going to leave you by thursday 
And then, of course, what you have is a massive headache. And they were just going at each other. They were hitting each other, not just with their hands, but with their arms. And their heads were going down, and they were sort of inadvertently kicking and kneeing each other. And the referee would have to go in and try to separate them out. And in the end, I don't know how you could figure out who won and who didn't win with all of that melee going on. And I thought to myself, this is the visual representation of the fool. Someone who doesn't have any sense. In fact, that's the, that's the second word, the naive. The first is the fool. That's a category. The second is the, the, the naive. And this is also an unbeliever, as portrayed in Proverbs. The simpleton. I mentioned it last time. This is a person who's not only foolish, but they're naive. Again, it's not the idea that they don't have the mental faculties. It's not that we're saying this person is mentally deficient. They're not handicapped. It's a person who is foolish. They don't avoid the evil of this world and its consequences. They are inheritors, the proverb says, of foolishness. In fact, they are har salev, lacking sense. And when I watch this visualizing in my mind of these guys just going at each other and just pummeling each other for three rounds, I said to myself, this is senseless. I mean, some of these people had families and children. What if one of them were hit in such a way with some roundhouse right that they were not only experiencing a concussion but brain damage? What if they hit the surface of the ring and had some sort of brain hemorrhage. I mean, this is utterly senseless. And yet this is the microcosm of our world. You say, well, I would never do that. Well, that's good. I hope you never do that. But it's certainly true that we use a myriad of ways to act out, as unbelievers do, the issue of the senselessness of the world. You say, well, I don't do that because I'm a believer. Well, that's true. But there are people who do naive things. And even though this is a category that describes unbelievers, whenever we go through these things, I don't want you to shut off your mind and say, well, he said that the naive and the foolish are unbelievers, and since that's not me, it doesn't apply to me. No, as I said before, there are a lot of times we do things that look very foolish and very naive. We need to learn from these proverbs. The naive person is a simpleton, somebody who's gullible, undiscerning doesn't perceive what's going on around them. And it's not just that which is reactive to them, it's also their proactivity in evil. The Bible talks about a naive person being wayward. In fact, even in our first chapter of Proverbs, Proverbs 1.32, for the waywardness of the naive will kill them. See that? It's a waywardness. It's a choice. It's an action. A wayward person a naive person will be so wayward that that waywardness, it says, will kill them. And the complacency of fools will destroy them. There's a third picture in Proverbs. There are more, but at least three this morning. The scoffer. The scoffer. Or the scorner. person who scorns. Used about 17 times in Proverbs. The scorner is one who's a troublemaker. They're like the person who wants to debate people. They want to debunk whatever is going on around them. 
And I would dare say, because we're talking about righteousness and wickedness, that we're probably talking about someone who scorns Christianity, someone who scoffs the truth. And they are, of course, a dime a dozen in our culture, somebody who prides himself in trying to debunk those around them. In Proverbs chapter 9, Proverbs 9, verses 7 and 8, we find out about the scoffer. It says in Proverbs 9, 7, He who corrects a scoffer receives dishonor for himself, and he who reproves a wicked man receives insults for himself. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. What does this mean? Well, it's obviously saying that a scoffer is a scoffer, and because he's a scoffer, you don't need to even reprove him because he'll hate you even more. See, if you reprove someone who loves God and loves the fact that he's corrected by God, even through other people, he'll love you. But a scoffer, a scorner, is only interested in showing you how much he knows and how much you don't. You know those kinds of people. I've met them. You've met them. Some of us even could have been a scoffer, a scorner in our days before Christ. A scoffer is a person who really doesn't understand what he's talking about, but he'll die to the death in trying to make you believe it. In chapter 13, verse 1, it says, A wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. See, that's the, that's the life of a scoffer. He scorns people. He scoffs. He scoffs at God. He scoffs at the world God has made. And he doesn't accept his father's discipline. He doesn't listen to rebuke. In chapter 15, verse 12, A scoffer does not love one who reproves him. He will not go to the wise. You see? This is the scoffing man or the scoffing woman. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 24, Proud, haughty, scoffer are his names who acts with insolent pride. You say, what's insolent pride? What's that adjective that describes this kind of pride? It's pride upon pride. It's arrogant pride. Boy, it's enough to be proud, but it's entirely too much to be proud about your pride. It's someone who says, I'm right and I know it, and my mission in life is to ensure that everyone else knows how right I really am. That's the scoffer. That's the inner disposition of this person. In chapter 22, verse 10, Drive out the scoffer, and contention will go out. Even strife and dishonor will cease. Boy, that's a, that's a tremendous statement, isn't it? Have you thought about local churches that have strife and dissension? Well, maybe for some, it's because they're allowing scoffers in their midst. But if you drive out the scoffer, contention will go out, even strife and dishonor will cease. You see the destructive nature of the category of a scoffer? It's all the same, scoffer, foolish, naive but just different tracks that they run on. In chapter 29, verse 8, shows us the, the devastation of a scoffer. Chapter 29, verse 8. Scorners 
set a city aflame, but wise men turn away anger. There's a situation in which people are hot under the collar. They want their action. They want what they want. They want it now. They want to be able to show everyone that they're right. And the scoffer just goes right in with them, and they set the city afire. But a wise man is calm, he's collected, he's cool under pressure. He speaks wisely, he acts wisely, and he turns away the fierce anger of the mob. This is, this is not a category to be in, folks. The fool, the naive, the scoffer, the scorner. This is a category in Proverbs that you don't want to be in. This is, this is not a category to be in, folks. The fool, the naive, the scoffer, the scorner. This is a category in Proverbs that you don't want to be in. When you read the Proverbs, and I trust that all of you are reading through the Proverbs, we have, as a family, begun to memorize this Proverbs chapter 3 that we did in the care groups a couple of weeks ago. And this is an opportunity for us as a little family to say, we want to see what God does when he contrasts the path of the righteous and the path of the wicked. We want God to show us what it means to be wise and a man of understanding as opposed to someone who is a fool, a simpleton, someone who is a scoffer, a scorner. Well, this is a great study for a family. It's a great study for the family of God. It's a great study for a church. How can we as a church develop a ministry mindset in which we have wise men and women, those who acquire wise counsel, understanding, those who live out the, the moral skill and the mental direction to live not only to know and serve God, but ultimately to live to the glory of God? You realize that all that I've said in this message and the previous message and maybe even next Sunday or Sunday after when I talk about the motto of the Proverbs, which is in Proverbs 1-7, the fear of the Lord, that all of this is contained in only seven verses. And Do you realize that there are 31 chapters of Proverbs? Do you realize at the rate that we're going, I will not be here and neither will you by the time we're finished? Why? Because it's a never-ending process. It'll never go away. You'll never stop teaching yourself. You'll never stop teaching your children. You'll never stop asking the Lord for this wisdom and this knowledge. You see, even if you go from the category of being a fool or a simpleton or a scorner or a scoffer into someone who's wise and righteous and blessed, you never stop learning. You never stop growing. You know, really, the whole of the Christian life is designed to put off all of the habits and the patterns of what it means to be foolish and naive and scornful and a scoffer and to put on the great habits and practices of that which is wise and blessed and understanding and wisdom and knowledge and instruction. That's why Proverbs are so great. That's why I wanted to go to it. Truth be told, I wanted to study the book of Proverbs because I wanted this to transform my own character first. And it just so happens that I'm bleeding onto you that which I'm being absolutely pelted and pasted every day of my life. 
Because you read these things and you study them and you begin to formulate the principles of Proverbs and here's a category of a fool, here's a category of someone who's naive, here's the category of the scornful or the scoffing, here's the wise man, here's the understanding man, here's the blessed man, here's the righteous man, and begin to say to yourself, Lance, what about your life? What kind of man are you? Can you be characterized as a man of great wisdom, understanding? You need to check yourself, Lance. You need to ask yourself the question, which category am I in? Oh, you're the pastor of the Bible church. You're obviously in the right category. Well, even if I am in the right category, do I live out the habits and the practices of that kind of category? Could someone say about me, he's the kind of person that even though he's not perfect, even though he has a long way to go, that's the direction of his life. That's the mental direction of his life. And this, this mental direction is causing in him the desire to acquire the moral skill that actually fleshes itself out in his daily activities. Oh, it's a long way to go. You know how you sort of say to yourself, well, I've been running and running and running and running, and I look ahead and it seems so farther and farther and farther away. Now, that's good. It's a good thing. Because even though you think that it's farther and farther and farther away, it isn't, according to the Word of God. Philippians 1.6, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will what? Perfect it, perform it, mature it, bring it to its completion. God's doing His work. And even though it may seem far away, it's really nearer than we really perceive. I believe and trust that when God says, you study this book, and you look at these two purposes, and you apply them to your life, you're going to be a man or a woman who's like a sweet aroma, filling up the nostrils of God as a pleasing sacrifice. That's what I want my family to be. That's what I want you to be. That's what I want the Bible Church of Little Rock to be perceived as being, especially as we move out to this new ministry location. I want missions and missionary service and ministry and time and effort and money and teaching and all of the things that make up the body of Christ in this place to be a sweet aroma. Just rising up to the nostrils of God so that He is pleased and He's saying they have the moral skill and the mental direction to move forward in ministry. Folks, I'm believing that God is going to take this and He's doing it for a purpose and that purpose is to give us a greater platform so that this message and our lives are so centrifugal, moving out exponentially to the place where not just missions and not just teaching, but the morality and the spirituality of our life is in such a beauty and such an aroma that people say, I've got to have it. I've got to have that life. What is that church doing over there? I thought it was great when Dr. Winger said that people were saying, well, it's, it's not a part of a denomination. What are they doing over there? Well, that's good. It's a good thing because we want to do the right thing. Even if we're criticized by somebody from the outside, that's okay. What we want to be able to do is know that we are following God and His Word, that we are taking His truth and moving it in such a direction that God Himself is pleased and others see around us, including ourselves. They are becoming holy people in practice. Well, wouldn't it be great if someone were to say to you, He's not just holy in name. He's not just godly in theory. He's godly in practice. He must be studying the Proverbs. 
Let's pray together. Father, we do want to study this great book. And Lord, because you have given us this introduction, because you've told us that the very purpose of this book is to challenge us both in our minds and in our life, we want to yield to that. We want to say yes to that. And even though, Lord, it seems such a, such a far distance away, we know that you're bringing us closer to it, even if we don't always perceive it. I pray, Father, that you would give us the kind of moral skill and the kind of mental direction not to be characterized, not to be in the categorical place of being a fool, a simpleton, a scoffer, but a person who is godly, virtuous, and who is putting on the habits and the patterns of what that great category means, that we're becoming more like you and more like your son. Father, I pray for our church. I pray that no one would be satisfied with where they are spiritually, and that we would take that blessed discontent and use it as a motivation to learn and grow and acquire wisdom so that we might be pleasing to you as a sweet aroma and offering a a sacrifice so that you might say, well done, good and faithful slave. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Father, may it be so. And if so, we'll give you great glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.